0: To the book of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, we're going to be in <clears throat> chapter 2 this morning. And as we've journeyed over the last two to three weeks, we have kind of seen a uh, a definitive turning away from Moab back to Bethlehem, which we know is the, the place of bread that we looked at these last couple of weeks, the place of bread in which the living bread would come one day to the lineage of David, ultimately Boaz, Boaz David, Christ um, in the incarnation, Jesus Christ. And, and and the as we've journeyed together, we have seen that spiritually our lives really do hinge on one of two places. Will we Be in God's covenant promise? Will we be in, remain in Bethlehem? Spiritually, will we flee God's covenant promise? We live in the foreign land of Moab. And I hope that as we're continuing to work through this book together, that that choice, or rather the choice that we should make, the choice that we should remain in, becomes clearer and clearer and clearer as we see the beauty and the provision of of the providence of God. In our own lives, and as we embark on Chapter Two this morning, I want us to hold in our minds two preliminary questions, if you will, that really frame out for us all of Chapter Two, and and we'll revisit these questions at the, at the end of this chapter. But the first question is this: again, knowing that 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 Naomi and Ruth have left Moab, as we saw last week, and they embarked on a return, again, a definitive return to Bethlehem. A question that we should ask and a question that we'll answer this morning is, is what, to you, what do you expect to find when you repent of your sin and turn back to the Lord? What do you expect to find when you repent of your sin and turn back to the Lord. The second question, which is a related question, is what do you expect to find when you return to God's people? All right, so the first question is what do you expect to find when you repent of sin and turn back to the Lord? Second question, what do you expect to find when you return to God's people, when you are restored or reconciled not only to the Lord but also to God's people? And so with that framing out what we're going to look at this morning, let's Read in its entirety, Ruth chapter 2. The author here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he wrote these words. He says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. Okay, and some, some translations translate that as a, a man of great wealth. Okay? Um, but a worthy man of the clan, or family, if you will, of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Verse 4, And Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, the harvesters, if you will, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, right? And she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest, right? So she's, she's working, real, Ruth is working really hard in the fields here. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, right? And just note, I'm not going to spend time on this, just note the affection of him calling a Moabite his daughter, okay? Boaz's affection here. Listen, my daughter. Don't glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Here's a response. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, "'Why have I found favor?' Right, Ruth found what she was confident in, in finding. Right? Another note that we need to just pay attention to. Why have I found favor in your eyes, and you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Right, not an Israelite, even worse than that, a, 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 a Moabite. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and you've come to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me, and you've spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also... "'Pull out some from the bundles for her "'and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her.'" Verse 17. "'So she gleaned in the field until evening. "'Then she beat out what she had gleaned, "'and it was about an afa of barley. "'And she took it up, and she went into the city. "'And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. "'She also brought out and gave her "'what food she had left over after being satisfied.'" And her mother-in-law said to her, What did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, <clears throat> the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the time that we get to spend in it. God, help us to understand it, Lord. Help us to see the enduring spiritual significance of this incredible story. And Lord, help us to cherish a return to You, God, for those of us that may be deceived. Help us to return to you and find you with open arms, Lord, for those who have never embraced you, Lord, as Lord and as Savior, God. I pray your spirit would motivate those as well to come to you. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> you, can, you can feel the... the just the, the warmth right, in, in the grace and the mercy and the beauty here in, in chapter 2. And w- w- where we are in this chapter is really on the upswing, if you will, out of what is the worst of things, the worst of times for both Ruth the Moabite and for Naomi. And again, just to keep in our minds... Right, and I want to keep putting this in front of us. We have this definitive return here to Bethlehem. That's where our story picks up this morning, here in chapter two, which is to return to Bethlehem. Really, is this return to the covenant faithfulness, the covenant promises of God, and all of that, all that that means, which is a major theme. If I were to give this book a theme, that would be the theme. There's different themes in this book, but that would be the primary theme: a return to the covenant faithfulness of. God. And and really, if I just bottom-lined a a theme for the entire Bible, I would would bottom-line it as God's covenant faithfulness to His people. And so we we get a a bit of a snapshot in the book of Ruth, really, with what the entire Bible is about. But there's this definitive return to Bethlehem, which means that there's a definitive leaving of Moab, which is, by nature, the place outside of God's Covenant faithfulness. So, movement here toward the promise, not away from the promise anymore, right? So, there, there's some progress that's being made in the story. And remember, Naomi and Ruth, they return in utter poverty, right? They have lost their husbands, right? For Naomi, she's lost not only her husband, but she's lost both of her children. And in a real sense, they're facing starvation. The very thing initially that Naomi and her family were trying to get away from when they left Bethlehem in the first place and went to Moab. And Naomi has no prospect of redemption at the beginning of the chapter here. And and she seems to be in a real place of despair, right? A few questions that could be going on in her mind. Will she live as an outcast amongst the people in her own land? be a legitimate question she's wrestling with. Will Ruth be the roommate that constantly reminds Naomi of her destitution? Will she be under the heavy judgment of God forever? Could be a question that Naomi's asking. Is there no forgiveness in restoration in God's world? All of these things would have been it would have been weighty thoughts that would have been I think spinning in her head is. she returned to Bethlehem. And and where your mind can go when you're asking questions like that is to a really dark place, to a place of of despair, paralyzing despair. And I think that we see this morning that Naomi really is crippled by her grief. She's crippled by her fears. and, And she's, frankly, from what I can tell in this text, it seems that she's given up. Seems that she's given up. In contrast to Ruth, the Moabite who chooses to go and labor in the field to provide for her and Naomi, Naomi doesn't go. She has no intentions of going. When Ruth asked if, if she may go, Naomi says, Go, my daughter. That's it. Go. Get out of here. Right? Naomi, who was well enough to travel from Moab back to Bethlehem, which, by the way, is a little less than 2,000 miles away, refuses to travel to the fields of Bethlehem. And I I say that just just to showcase for us just the the dark place that Naomi would have been in because of the, the immense grief that she was experiencing. But Ruth goes... Right? And she ends up in a field that belonged to Boaz. Now, notice that, that Naomi, she didn't direct Ruth to that particular field. right? Naomi didn't say, go, my daughter, and when you go, make sure you go to this specific field that's owned by this specific man who is a member of our family or is in our clan or, or whatnot. That, Naomi doesn't say that, right? nor do we see here in Ruth God audibly speaking to Ruth saying, Child, make sure you go to this field. Right, again, but Ruth and and Esther, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, feel very similar to the day in and day out uh, comings and goings of our lives. The author of Ruth tells us how Ruth ended up in Boaz's field in verse 3, if you just wanted to look there quickly. And she, speaking of Ruth, she happened... She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan, the family, or the kin, he was the kinsman right, of Elimelech. Right? It's similar to our expression as luck would have it. Right? And the author here, I think, is, is in, in my view, being almost playful here. Right? We know that it's not chance that brought Ruth to the fields of Boaz. We know that it's not luck Right. That, that has guided Ruth to the field of a man named Boaz. In fact, we spent time last week trying to trace God's hidden providential hand, even when it's a dark, frowning providence. But the author of Ruth has helped us to trace God's providential hand in the lives of these two women. And I think there's almost a playful expression here to show us that there's no such thing as coincidence in God's world. I mean, there's not such thing as coincidence in God's world. The Lord took this Moabite named Ruth. He caused her by his spirit to forsake her gods in her country and in turn embrace his covenant promise. And he put her in a field where she would humbly and optimistically even labor to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law. And he, he places her in a field of what will be as our chapter ends this morning, what will be her Redeemer, her Redeemer. And this is the first time that we meet Boaz, right, is in this chapter here. And he's described to us, if you're looking at the text, he's described to us as a worthy man. He's described as a worthy man, a man of, again, some translations say a man of great wealth, right? But, but he's honorable, Right? Boaz is an honorable man. He's from the family of Elimelech. He's kind. And we see that in the way that he even speaks to his workers in verse 4 and in the way that he deals overall with Ruth and consequently uh, with Naomi and restoring them. But there's compassion here when Boaz enters the picture. Right? There's mercy here. There's grace here. There's safety here. There's generosity here. God's providential hand guided Ruth to this man named Boaz. A particular man who we should hold in our minds as as a type of Christ. Boaz foreshadows what Jesus accomplished in both his person and in his work. So when you see and you read of Boaz, I want you to think that that Jesus is the greater Boaz. Christ is the greater Boaz, just as Jesus is the greater David, who's the great-grandson, by the way, of Boaz. But let me take it back to Ruth for just a moment, because we need to see what the Lord's doing in her. As she's decidedly, Ruth is decidedly moved toward His covenant promise. And Ruth, we, 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 we see both humility and we see fortitude, which is, just, which is courage and bravery in the midst of struggle and adversity. And, and I would argue that we see even an optimistic perspective in Ruth, despite the poverty that she's in. You can see that even in verse 2. Now, this is speculation on my end of things, so take it as that, but if the only people of Yahweh that Ruth knew while she was in Moab was, the fam- was Elimelech's family, right, she would have had a poor example of what it meant to be Yahweh's people, or to what it meant to be Trusting in, living in, resting in the covenant faithfulness of God. But to me, in our text, she seems to be resting and trusting in God's covenant faithfulness. And and that that resting in that trusting, it drives her work ethic. It drives her perseverance in the worst time of her life. When she's facing starvation and not just grieving the loss of her husband... It seems to be what's driving her optimism. But look at verse 2 with me. It says, And Ruth, the Moabite, right? The author continues to put that in front of us. The Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall, I shall find favor. And I love the confidence here. I love the certainty the steadfast trust that Ruth was, never had modeled for her, but she seems to be, by God's grace, displaying here. Right? Ruth may be tired. Right? Ruth is certainly grieving the loss of her husband. Right? She's probably emotionally, frankly, she's probably emotionally spent from constantly consoling her mother, her mother-in-law. Right? But, but she's not a jaded cynic. She's not a jaded cynic. She's not pessimistic. I see in Ruth here a hope and a trust of a better future, in a better country with a better God, the the, the God who provides, the God who who redeems. That is what Ruth expected when she decidedly came to the Lord when she entered into God's covenant faithfulness by going with her mother to the place of bread, to Bethlehem. And again, think about her situation. Think about Ruth's situation. She especially, of all people in this story, she especially has no knowledge of Yahweh. No knowledge of His faithfulness. She didn't know, she didn't know the old stories. She had no firsthand, no experiential knowledge as to what life was like living inside of God's covenant faithfulness. But she left her gods, she left her false gods, she left her idols, she left her customs, she left the the way of life she was familiar with, she left her parents, she left the prospect of, of ever being married again, she even left that when she left Moab. Right? The, the potential comforts that she could have had that, that, that convinced Orpah to, to remain in Moab or go back to Moab. She left all of that. Right? She left conventional wisdom, forsaking what man would think that she would do. If she were thinking through things clearly, it practically made sense for Ruth to go back to Moab, or even better yet, to have never left Moab. It made practical sense. But she turned and she embraced the Lord. She embraced the Lord. Right, The New Testament language of that of what we see with Ruth is repentance and faith. Right, Repentance and faith is the language we're used to hearing, which are two sides of the same coin. You can't have repentance without faith. You can't have faith without repentance. To turn away from sin... Um, and the way that, that the Bible speaks of turning away from sin is to turn toward Christ. To turn toward Christ in the sense that the Bible speaks of turning toward Christ is to turn away from your sin. And we see this with Ruth. She repents of her former way of life. And by God's grace, she leaves that behind. She doesn't look back like Lot's wife. And in, turn she turns, and in turn, she trusts and she rests in God's covenant promise of a better life. That better life being a better life defined by him, right? On his terms, not on her terms, right? One poet, I found this as I was studying this week, says it like this regarding Ruth, right? If we can see God's providential hands in a really dark situation, a poet says it like this. To praise the bitter providence of God that wrought for us immense and precious mercies in that place and lavished me with painful grace. A rod of famine was the price for me, speaking of Ruth, that opened paradise. Her newfound faith in all that that came with and the bitter providence that brought her to that place. That was all behind the way in which she saw this newfound life that the Lord had given her. She went out into the field to glean, which is insanely hard work, gleaning. But she worked, Ruth worked, trusting in God's provision as she she did all that she could do. And, And what did she find, right? What kind of God... Right, and this, again, gets to the initial questions that we're asking of this text. What kind of God is Yahweh? What kind of God is Yahweh? Did Ruth experience? What are Yahweh's people like? Because this would have been a first for Ruth. And I think we can see, begin to see the, the answer. And hopefully you're, you're already seeing the answer in the text, but we could even see it even more clearly by going further back into the law of Moses. Now, I don't know how much Ruth would have known about Israel's way of life as it relates to the commands that the Lord had given to the nation, particularly as it related to foreigners and widows and, and the poor and orphans. But it seemed that Ruth did have some sense that the people of Yahweh were different than other people, including her own people. And for us to see what I'm talking about, I want to take you to a couple of passages in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. You can turn there if you want, but I think we have these up on the screen. But Leviticus chapter 19, just want to read verses 9 and 10 here again in the law of Moses. He gives these instructions to the Israelites, particularly the ones that own the fields. Okay? When you reap the harvest of your land, right? This is how God's people were to live in God's covenant promise, in the promised land. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the, its edge, Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That comes up again in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 22 as well. And then we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 19. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field, and if you forget a sheaf in that field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, certainly, based on what we know of Israel's unfaithfulness. Not all of Israel, not all the Israelites obeyed the Lord on this. In fact, it was dangerous, we see in our text, to glean behind the reapers in some fields in the promised land. We see in verses 8 and 9 that Boaz instructs Ruth to stay in his fields and and that he had instructed his young men not to to hurt her, and we see that Naomi tells Ruth toward the end of the chapter to stay in Boaz's field lest in another field she be assaulted. But to work in the field of Boaz or in the fields of Boaz was to experience the love and the care and the provision and the mercies and the grace of God Almighty. It was to breathe in God's covenant faithfulness. The aroma of the place was, em- was embracing of a Moabite. It was the embracing of a Moabite. It was the embracing of one who forsook the, the gods of Moab and the customs of Moab for the triune God of Israel. In Boab's field, they were waiting and welcoming to one like Ruth. Right? In Boaz's field you saw a mindfulness of all that God had done for Israel though she was undeserving and based on God's provision in providing the harvest in this culture it was only natural for God's people to image God and his provision for them by being intentional about caring for who the Lord would call the least of these. Right? What we see in both Leviticus and end in Deuteronomy, right? Those who have no other way of, of provision, right? God's provision would come through the care and compassion and generosity of His people, right? And as a church, we should take note of that, and it should convict us, and it should animate us to care for, to have eyes for the least of these, right? In God's economy, The stranger and the poor and the orphan and the widow are not forgotten. And and, and this sort of generosity was to flow from a wholehearted devotion, fidelity to the triune God. Now, to balance this, what we need to see biblically here in Ruth 2, this wasn't a handout. This wasn't a handout. It's not welfare, which is short-term game and and long-term harmful for individuals. It's not enabling laziness. Ruth, she worked hard going behind the reapers. One theologian called it a welfare-to-work program, is kind of what we see here, right? That the poor didn't depend on handouts from the state, nor should they, but they were allowed to glean behind the harvesters, right? Ruth here, she labored hard, trusting that the people of God would act like the people of God. and She didn't know what she would find. She didn't know what she would find, but she found grace. Right? She found mercy. She found generosity. Ruth has come to Bethlehem, and she's met with the favor of God in the fields of Boaz. And the favor of Boaz himself, it's lavish. It's lavish. It's not stingy. He's not counting pennies here. Look at verses 14 to 18 with me for a minute. It says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here. This is... I feel like because we, the, the culture of the time is so lost on us, we don't feel the significance of, of, the, of these verses here. Okay, But an Israelite invites a Moabite, to come and dine with him and the rest of the Israelites, the rest of his workers here. Come and sit at the table with us. I get you don't have any food. Eat some of my food. He says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat bread and dip your morsel into the wine. We see bread, we see wine. So she sat beside the reapers. You know, who knows what they're thinking? Are they thinking Boaz has lost his mind? She sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate, get this, until she was satisfied. She ate until she couldn't eat anymore. She had some left over. And when she rose to glean, get this, Boaz instructed his young men, Right, he takes it up a notch. If, if the generosity and grace of God through Boaz that images Christ, our Redeemer, who we feast on, who we're going to feast on when we come to the table in just a moment, knowing that He's spiritually present with us, knowing that God did not withhold His only Son. We're seeing that here in the generosity of Boaz. But as if, as if Him inviting this Moabite, this person that that was born outside of God's covenant faithfulness was then brought into God's covenant faithfulness by sheer grace alone, testifying to us that the gospel is for people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, that it's far-reaching, that it's reaching and it's propped up here to the Israelites, and we should see it as the gospel reaches even the worst sinner. It will even reach a Moabite. And as if inviting her to the table wasn't enough... Boaz, he tells his men, let her even glean among the sheaves and don't reproach her, don't rebuke her for it. Let's give her the good stuff. And if that wasn't enough, he said, and also, pull out some from the bundles. I want you to intentionally get generous with her. Pull out some from the bundles and leave it. Right? Just as if, We see, and just happen to. It's as if the author again is being played. Just happen. Just drop it drop the good stuff along the way and pretend that you don't notice. Don't rebuke her for getting it. Verse 17. So she gleaned, probably giddily. She gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an Apha of barley. And she took it and she went in the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out, right, and gave her, gave Naomi what food she had left. She's like, nah, you, you see all this grain I've got. I've also got some leftover food from dinner that you can eat as well. Right? They were on the brink of starving. That's where they thought they were headed. Right? So Boaz, he invites Ruth to the table. He invites a Moabite to eat his food until she was full, until she couldn't eat anymore. He gave her so much food that she had leftovers to share with Naomi, if you can imagine that. All right, then Ruth brings home leftovers at the end of the night with, with an apha, which is somewhere between 29 to 50 pounds of grain. It would last for several weeks with two women there eating it. And, and don't let it be lost on us, that unlike Naomi, unlike Elimelech's clan, Boaz stayed in Bethlehem for ten years. He never left in the midst of that famine. He didn't flee. For those of us who have relatives who lived through the Great Depression, one common characteristic about them is that they would save absolutely everything, right? They would keep things that we would perhaps just throw away, right? And they would keep it in case of another depression, right? Because they lived through the depression. Boaz, he's doing the opposite of that. He just went through a famine for a decade under the heavy judgment of God, seemingly at no fault of his own. He knows what it's like to have nothing. And we see lavishness here. Lavishness. He's giving her the good stuff. Right, and again we need to think of the lavishness of God here and how that's what's being preached to us, the grace and mercy of God. Boaz <coughs> telling his workers that Ruth can glean even from the sheaves to deliberately pull out bundles of grain for her to pick up, intentionally leaving that good stuff, the first fruits, if you will, behind. That's Boaz. And it images our Lord. It images our Lord. Again, in fact, it foreshadows for us the one who invites us sinners to dine with Him. It foreshadows to us the one who invites us to, to eat of the bread and drink of the wine, though we were spiritually Moabites. We're invited to, to feast on Him. And in our feasting on Him, we forsake those wretched former ways and idols that lead us to misery and that lead us to hell. And the redemptive kindness of God is what Ruth met. And Ruth expected to meet it. She expected to meet it. But that's not all we see. That's not the only thing we see. The generosity of God extended through Boaz. It did something to Naomi as well. We begin to see this great softening. We begin again to see kind of this upswing, if you will, even in her demeanor. Look at verses 19 on down to verse 20. Her mother-in-law, okay, upon Ruth returning, said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she took her mother-in-law, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. That's what she says. That verse twenty there to me, may he be blessed. Naomi says by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the the living or the dead. Right, Naomi, she tastes again God's kindness and His faithfulness and His provision through the faithfulness of Boaz. Right, Naomi, who has been despairing, who renamed herself bitter, is now after entering back into God's covenant promise, experiencing the warm embrace of a father she fled from and failed to trust in. And verse 20 is interesting to me, because it's framed in such a way that demonstrates to us that she's beginning to see that the Lord had never forsaken her, that He had never forsaken her. Even though she couldn't see God's covenant faithfulness during the famine as Boaz did, and even though she fled from it with her husband, She's now beginning to see God's covenant faithfulness anew. She's embraced the same way a prodigal is always embraced. And Ruth, we see, is being grafted in to that eternal covenant faithfulness of God. And we'll again see that definitively coming in in a few weeks, but we get a taste of it here. Naomi says that the man is a close relative of ours, one of our Redeemers, right? That's where we get kinsman redeemer from. All right? And we get a picture of what that is exactly back in the law of Moses. Just how we read about the law of Moses, is it related to farming and, and, and being mindful of those that are poor and destitute and orphans and, and foreigners? Right, we also go to the law of God to see what being a kinsman redeemer is. And I'm not going to read, i am just give you the references. You can look at that in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. But to help us understand the situation, let me just read a quick bit of commentary that summarizes what a kinsman redeemer is and the, pros- the prospect of Boaz being that kinsman redeemer. Here's the commentary. Interestingly, God did this, he redeemed, through the means he himself had set up in his law, which is the two passages I just referenced to you this morning. <clears throat> through someone willing to act as a, quote, kinsman Redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was obliged to buy back his relatives if they fell into debt and had to sell themselves into slavery, Leviticus 25. Under certain circumstances, the kinsman redeemer also had an obligation to marry the widow and raise up a child for a brother who had died childless, Deuteronomy chapter 25. In this way, the inheritance would continue to be associated with the name of the man who had died. Now, we'll get into the lawfulness of Boaz marrying a Moabite in, in the coming weeks, but needless to say that Moaz could have easily and, and lawfully gotten out of his responsibility to be their kinsman redeemer. He even a distant relative. But we see in our text this morning, and, and, cha- and the author of chapter 2 has labored for us to see that Boaz goes over and beyond what's required of him <laughs> By God's law. Not because of some legalistic religious duty, but because of gratitude and because of joy. Right? Ruth dined with him as if she were an Israelite. He gave <clears throat> Ruth more than leftover grain. He gave her bundles. So how much more will he joyfully be willing to redeem her and thus Elimelech's family to the fullest Extent, Because as this chapter ends, Ruth and Naomi are fed, but we still have two widows living in a house together. And the author is signifying to us that this is not good. This isn't good. All right? Ruth and Naomi and the clan of Elimelech needs to be fully redeemed. And so what did Naomi and Ruth find upon their return to Bethlehem? They began to find the warm embrace Of our triune God demonstrated through the people of God. What will you find if you return to the Lord? You'll find that exact same thing. Because our God's unchanging. A few takeaways for us this morning. The first is this. God will not cast anyone out that comes to Him in true evangelical faith. No matter where you've been or what you've done, come to Christ... He invites you to His table. Two, faith isn't passive. We do what we can and we trust God, God's provision. We trust that the Lord provides for our needs. Faith isn't passive. Three, the church should care for the least of these in such a way that it has the aroma of God's kingdom on earth. We must seek to redemptively care for those in true need. And then fourth, and we get this as an example from Naomi, repent of despair and bitterness early because it's sin and it prevents you from seeing God's faithfulness in your life and in the lives of others. We go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for all that you are for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for... Your grace and your mercy, we thank you that you invite us sinners, God, to come to the table, Lord. And you call us saints, not because of anything in us, but solely because of Jesus. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.